Welcome to Bab Pod Die, a Babylon Project miniseries about the comic book die. We tumble through feelings about RPGs and some terrible British nerds. I'll be your game master, Justin, and joining me are my two fellow Star Trek Infinite players, Jude and Otta. <laughs> Jude, Otta, how you doing? Star Trek. We've been pl- we've all been playing Star Trek Infinite for the past thirty six hours. Yes, you know how much we love making this podcast. We've all put down Star Trek Infinite. To come and record it with you for you, and you should all be grateful. God damn it! <laughs> yes, I was grateful to discover that today was in fact a quote unquote wellness day for me at work. So my wellness was playing seven hours of Star Trek Infinite. Honestly, you know, I I feel a lot, you know, a lot more mentally well after playing a lot of star trek infinite personally so that tracks i do too uh i mean compared to what i've been doing all week absolutely reviling my coworkers from mental stress so uh yeah. reviling the uh the cardassians primarily who have been pissing in my pond uh more than anyone uh, don't else. worry you're gonna hate the cardassians a lot more uh <laughs> once we can go back to uh pod space nine <laughs> I might have to play as the Cardassian soon, just so I can they can stop irritating me. <laughs> Attention, Bajoran workers. <laughs> well, we haven't gotten there yet, but um, all right. So, um, I have a question for you both tonight. All right. What is the trait you most often put into your own characters when you play RPGs? Oh, good question. For me, it is often a an impatience with uh problem in problem solving um when i'm in a group of people i tend to want to just like cut through through a conversation and just be like let's do this like i want to problem solve a situation uh don't take me to fucking like uh escape rooms because i get bossy and irritable because i just want to <laughs> like stage manage and get it done uh and in rpgs it doesn't matter how low my charisma or intelligence stats are relative to whatever system you're in. I want to like organize everyone into problem solving teams and wheel out the setting appropriate version of a whiteboard and fucking solve this shit. (laughs) That was before I got into my himbo phase, which is what I've been in the last few games. Uh, Now I I just want to, you know, hang out and spear things. But before that, yeah, that was kind of the thing I put in every one of my characters. One of the character archetypes that I've played a lot of is something I will call chaotic helpful. (laughs) Um, Like characters who are like a little bit on the chaotic side in terms of like being zany or silly or whatever, but like, but still, still like engaging with whatever is going on. So like, I tend to have characters who like, might be very silly but like won't won't go off on a tangent will say like engaging with the plot and like try to help other players and characters and everything got it i'm curious what your answer to this is justin the answer is competence porn (laughs) (laughs) i mean it, it, it is a part of this is because that given the opportunity one of my one of my favorite archetypes to play are pilots ah uh, uh, yeah uh, um and, and this kind of and this can sometimes like i'm not a car person but i'm playing a driver in a vampire the masquerade game i'm playing right now 
like I'm playing a criminal whose like job is wheel man. Yeah. Wheel woman in this case. But it is there there is a thing like with the idea of whether it be natural talent or like being a veteran presence, either way, like hyper competency, at least in one thing. And getting to do cool shit around that is 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 always something that I enjoy. Yeah, that that's my that's my one is like that. I always like to pick at least something like I like to play something that like characters like is going to be good in mm-hmm. like at least one thing. Got it. Um, right now, I am building like I I'm going to be doing a Lancer RPG, uh, which is mecha stuff. Um, and I rolled in Lancer is set in the far, 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 far future of humanity and has a wonderful character creation tool called CompCon, which is supported by the developers. And I need to share the name because it's, I think, the funniest thing I've ever gotten out of an RNG. Zelda Gamer. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> that, that was a name that, the, that it spat out. And I was like, nope. That is my character. Who knows what that like culturally means? The year uh, five thousand U. Um, That's terrific. You or U five thousand. So yeah, I just like I like and I like playing pilots. That's the that's probably yeah. the one that I'm most. But in in games where that is not a thing, uh, competency. <laughs> cool. I tend to play an engineer wherever I can. Um, if there's something that has an engineer type role. Um, but my, my engineers are all like, um, you know, in Star Trek disco, not Stamets, but like the lesbian engineer. Oh yeah. Like, yeah, a lot like that or like, honestly, it's just an amalgamation of uh, any of Stamets, Tilly and, um, and her (laughs) in various combinations. Makes sense. (laughs) All right. Tonight, uh, the re- the reason I've asked is because, um, I mean, we, we, we the, uh, because of the name of the first issue we are covering tonight, we're covering issues nine and ten of Die, uh, which are Self-Insert and the X-Card. I didn't really think it was appropriate to make a question focused around the X-Card. Mm-hmm. So, Valid. you know. Fair, yeah. Um, so I went with the Self-Insert instead. Um, so both these issues are written by Kieran Gillen, art by Stephanie Hans, letters by Clayton Cowell. We start issue nine with the group in prison. Whap, whap, whap. Or at least the Ash, Matt, Angela uh, side of the group. In, or everybody but Chuck. Everybody but Chuck. In <laughs> everybody prison. but Chuck. Right. I was trying to remember where the everybody was. And it's, it is Chuck and not Chuck. Um, Isabel, uh, Ash's mouth has been chained. And Isabel and Ash have both been quiet but Saul is being like an annoying prompt to get of like ooh what will you do next players <laughs> um, oh I forgot to give the quote for this uh, for this issue it is from Charlotte Bronte which is we're going to figure out why this is important now it is very edifying and profitable to create a world out of one's brain and people it with inhabitants back to the thing um, the group tells Isabel that uh, Saul's now fallen, and Isabel knows that that doesn't make sense. If fallen are people who came to die and died, but they were the first people to come, the fallen were there when they got here. Somebody has to be lying or mistaken. Uh, Saul says that he makes that he may die like a man makes up a house out of parts, out of bricks. 
He says they were the first people to come here and that the fallen are people who die here. And somehow this is this is both true. Their jailer, a woman with a veiled face, offers a bit of an answer. She says that she is aware of some of the once of die. Isabel, uh, as she is an English teacher, recognizes her. She's Charlotte Bronte. <laughs> Their jailer says that she is, but also hopes that she is not. Isabel explains that the Brontes, as children, received toy soldiers for their uh, for the the brother Branwell's birthday, and Charlotte and her brother and sisters named the soldiers and made fantasy worlds of them. We only have Charlotte and Branwell stories of a world named Angria. Glasstown, Angria, Gondol, Zamorna were all creations of the Brontes. Ash, unable to speak, remembers reading an article that after they came back about what the Brontes had created and realized that everything was based on stuff they had written and found that entirely horrifying. Um, they asked their jailer if they're trapped in the Brontes world, and she replies that it is not so simple as that because nothing ever could be. It had started with their older sister's death, leaving the four of them, Charlotte, Branwell, Anne, and Emily. Their father brought them a gift, 12 red-coated soldier dolls. They took the dolls, named them, and made stories with them. She describes it as a scribble mania. Their obsession with creating stories, of creating more of this world, and becoming so immersed that it felt like they were there. They created these worlds and characters to She created Zamorna, and Branwell created a character named Rogue. When Branwell painted a portrait of them sitting together, he titled it Four Kings in Angria. As Charlotte began to drift away and spend more time as a teacher, she became haunted by visions of the creations of Zamorna. A year later, Charlotte was struck with illness, with visions of Angria, and Charlotte knew they had to get rid of their stories. Branwell protested, but Charlotte insisted that it was costing them too much. Branwell would become sick and consumed by visions. When he died, Charlotte looked at his final poems, which were signed as his character, Rogue, not him. Charlotte burned his poetry. When Emily died a month later, Charlotte found new stories of Gondol in her papers. When Anne died, she destroyed all of their uh, Gondol stories, leaving only the Angria stories that she and Branwell had made. When Charlotte dies a decade later, she closed her eyes and opened them on Die. Uh, she says that she knows little of the history of Die, but it had lacked people. Now it had taken six children. She declares that she is not Charlotte, but uh, more like another toy soldier. Her siblings are here, but they avoid each other. Zamorna sneaks into the prison because he's a vampire, uh, not to torture Charlotte, but at Isabel's request, so they can take over Agria. Uh, Zamorna ungags Ash, telling her they will save their boy. Ash commands Charlotte to give her the keys and, the priv and their privacy. Uh, Ash frees Isabel, but keeps Angela and Matt locked in, saying it's not their type of fight, but Nat knows he'd have to try to stop her if they knew what she was really doing. <laughs> Woo! Woo! <laughs> yeah, that's that, there's a lot going on here. There's um, so much going on here. Is this is the first of a run of issues where we finally start to figure out a little bit, not figure out, but we finally are starting to get some information about what the fuck is going on. Uh where this stops being about like 
trying to get home as quickly as possible and figuring out what the hell is actually going on. Yeah. Yeah. This had been about like a bunch of kids fall into fall, you know, fall through the, the, the looking glass or fall through the, you know, the wardrobe and are just trying to go home. Now it becomes more complicated. And, uh, this is where it starts. And, uh, I think it's fascinating that I am, in awe of how much research Gillen must have done to go back and like trace the, the history, like to, to build all of the history of, of die. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, in the like issue notes, he talks about some of the, some of the like research that he did on this and Mm -hmm. also partly how much more he had to do than for Tolkien because he wasn't familiar with any of this to start with really. In any mm-hmm. Yeah, depth. I love that Angria is their like home base. It wasn't like Middle Earth. Yeah, you know, I think that's really interesting that that's where they landed. And, and from what I from what I understand, we have like journal evidence of like the Angria parts, but we don't have. We know that the Gondol stories exist, but we don't have a lot of information on them. We have some of the poetry but not a lot of like the actual stories. Yeah. Yeah. I had no idea that they did so much world building. Like that's bananas to me. And mm-hmm. it, I don't know. It, it's just wild to me that this is a thing that it's such a universal desire to, to, to invent stories and places for stories to take place. But I mm-hmm. don't think people, people think it's like some new invention, but it's really not. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, what they're doing here is okay to get like technical here playing a role playing game unlike playing you know a video game or a board game okay and it's we're, we're going to get real technical here playing an rpg unlike playing a board game where a board game has rules about how to play the game and going through phases and stuff an rpg it is the socratic method of playing a game until you reach a consensus reality. Yeah. Yeah, I can see that. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree with that. Um, and I and like that that is like if you want to get super technical, but what it really is is it's a conversation where somebody says this thing, where this is a thing that happens or this is the situation you are in and somebody responds well, I would like this to happen. I think this. I think this would be interesting to happen, or this is what I want to happen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and like that is at its most basic what it is. Yeah, there's an interesting thing going on where there's two kinds of, and where my mind is ranging ahead slightly. But we do know that there's like, we already know that one of these faces is based on war games. Yes. Which are a different, a very different kind of game. Mm-hmm. Yes. Than, than what we're seeing here with Angria and Little England th- being Tolkien's contribution, so to speak. Not Little England the front isn't is. quite all Tolkien. Yeah, the front of it is. The front of it is. Yeah. Or at least the, the north the front, part of it. The front is its own face, right? Or or am I incorrect on that? My understanding was that the front was an entire face of the die. Um, I think that sounds right. Honestly, um, I, I'm like, I could, I can't remember the specifics of it, but that sounds right. 
Okay. It's, it's a face that is not controlled by either person. Yeah. It's okay. the, the no man's land is an entire, is an entire face of the die was my, that's my understanding. I mean, okay. That so, might, and that's the one that Tolkien that has Tolkien as the master. Yes. Yeah. But little England itself, we're, we're, we will, we will get to that at the end, uh, uh, in our next episode a little bit. Yeah. 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 The, the, the stuff with the, uh, the stuff with the Brontes, um, it, it reminds me of, you know, the memes of like what people think, you know, what people, what people think little girls, you know, play how little girls mm-hmm. play when they play with their like ponies and Barbies and everything. It's like the like happy families and all that. And meanwhile, like versus how, you know, little girls are honestly people of all genders when they're little play with such toys, which is like. Like the Machiavellian like power dynamics and yeah. like you know captivity and like these dramatic like narratives. Um, yeah, yeah. Putting that, the powers like, of world creation into the hands of children is honestly yeah. terrifying. Having had yeah. one now for seven years, I'm horrified at the idea that you would let a child with all with all of its amoral wiles design a world. Because honestly, yes. children are malignant little tyrants a lot of the time. <laughs> uh, I say this with all due love if my son ever listens to this. But yeah, they're kind of scary. I, I So this, I from just like looking at it, I think it would have, and they were all teenagers, which. Um, oh, that's frankly better. Teenagers? Which is like even more fucked up. Listen, I, I mean, uh, teenagers, teenagers have they do have an idea of what is morally right and wrong a little bit more than children, but they also have more experience of the world that lets them know exactly how fucked up they can be. Yeah. Um, frankly, the meanest people I've ever dealt with were six with were sixth grade girls. I had to teach. Oof. Yeah. That tracks. Yeah. Um, they, I was twice their age and like they could verbally suplex me. Um, <laughs> and they wouldn't even care. They were sociopaths. <laughs> mm-hmm. they thought yeah. it'd be funny and they'd forget about it in five seconds um i th- i think it's like interesting just of like how i and most of their stuff is like them writing together and i and uh, like that really speaks to me because the first experience i had with role playing was with text-based rp text-based free forms of like systemless rpg yeah yeah like on on like RP you know role playing forums and stuff like that. Yeah, boy um, that boy that takes me back. Yeah, and I mean this was like I mean, for me this was like early mid two thousands. Um, yeah, because I because I, I didn't have money for like RPG books and it was like and I found the idea of stories a lot more interesting than like D and so combat. It wasn't a real RPG, but like the first gaming. RPG like experience I had was a friend of mine in middle school did what amounted to like an RPG campaign that I learned yeah. later in life was essentially a rehashing of a lot of Gargoyle season three and four, which <laughs> hat tip, there's good worse, season, good things. material. Um, but it was like, if you it was like Warcraft and gargoyles and a D and D campaign all muddled together, but it was just like something we talked about in the halls, like between classes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 
It was complete, like it was completely conversational. So I get that. Like I get the idea of being purely narrative, being a place where these sorts of things start. Yeah. And and for but that I mean, sort of thing too, like the your focus, like your your focus for play, like it could be dice, it could be you know My Little Pony, it could be Toy Soldiers, like the the like physical object focus, like doesn't always matter, like what it is. It's just standing in for like the cre- you know as a focus for the creativity. Yeah, I also really appreciate that, like. Charlotte Bronte. I, I it's been it's been years since I read Bronte. Um, and this is like one of those things where I'm like, I am actually like, you know, like reading rereading Die has made me want to reread Charlotte Bronte. Yeah, um, same. Because of all things, um, but I cannot stand Charlotte more for creating Zamorda. because i'm like that is what you create when you are like oh like you know a horny 20 like teen or 20 something yeah is you created you created a vampire daddy especially Uh, especially the she mentions in here the the crush on byron (laughs) oh yeah Yeah. which is so funny yeah zamorda being basically uh I mean, especially when you look at the 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 art of him in what is this? I can't remember if it's the in issue nine or ten, but the art of him, like the idea that Zamorna is basically, especially in Die, a cross between Byron and somebody's Vampire the Masquerade OC makes one hundred percent sense to me. Yeah. Um, it's actually the cover for issue ten. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. My man has the deepest V. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 That's a naval V right there. And not not like ships. Yeah. Art way art wise, I thought it was really interesting how much um Bronte's character design looks like ashes. Oh yeah. Yeah. I- um the, the 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 veil is very similar to how Ash has her hair a lot of the time. If you look at the characters side by side, they aren't they don't necessarily like immediately look similar, but there's a lot of parallels in the in the like art design. Mm-hmm. It's it has to be intentional. Yeah, that there is some reference there. There's also something that I was noticing. I was I was reading these issues that I hadn't quite noticed before. Mm-hmm. When we look at our slate of characters here of our like you know the main the main five ash is the only one who does not look like essentially middle-aged ever Mm -mm. that like that physical transformation like you know every single every single panel has her looking like she's you know 22 or something like that it's no it's not like it's not like she's just like donning a set of clothes or something like that. Like she looks, I'm guessing, mm-hmm. very close to what she once did. And it isn't just like she's flipped gender from what she what yeah what she was in the real world. Mm-hmm. It's a a more profound physical transformation than that. Yeah, yeah. I, there's definitely something, something, something going on with Ash. I'm sure we will find out more, but I feel like Ash is a. I don't know. I feel like we'll find out more. 
<laughs> there, there, something is certainly, um, but I, I, it is, I, I think it is, I think part of it is that like, because Ash is the only person, Ash is the only person here playing a character. Yeah. Which allows for that departure of self-actualization. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and, and like, it, it's, I don't know, it's, it reminds me of like the Matrix, how people look different in the Matrix, like they, they look different in the Matrix than they do in the real world. Yeah. Yeah. So, Riddle be this, Batman. Yeah. Why does Ash want to go home? This is something that I've been trying to figure out. I, we could talk about it more in the next issue, because that's really more of a question for the next issue. But I never got the impression from the first from the first issue that her life at, in the real world was great. I mean, and not that this world sounds awesome, because it seems like she's got a bucket of trauma tied up in this yeah. world. But also, yeah. it seems like this is more her true self than... I don't know. I mean, is it just me that it seems like there's there may be a, a level of, like, self-denial about what, her actually wanting to go home? I think what part of it is... I mean, part of it is is that the rule is you have to be united in your agreement to go home. It's everybody or no one. And I think I I think that Ash, you know, we will go into a lot more this, especially in the back half of the book. But this is this is internally Ash. It isn't about wanting to stay here. It is about it, it isn't about wanting to go home. It's that she can't stay here. Got it. Yeah. Okay. Let's move on. We have spent quite yeah. a bit of time on this issue. Let's let's move on to issue 10. I, I yeah, did this... want to highlight just one last like line from this issue mm-hmm. that I that I thought was really good. Um there's a panel where um Isabel is talking to Charlotte about how Charlotte died. Um and says it was, oh. uh, Isabel says it was complications in childbirth or or TB like the others, correct? And Charlotte says I would not call it TB. I would call it consumption. Yeah. Which is a great which is, line. Which is really, I mean, it, it, it's like, I, I skipped over this a little bit on the thing, but it is very clear that like, there, the, the fiction die is consuming them. Yeah. yeah. And, and feeding them. And I, I find that really fascinating. Um Yeah. And that and, that line like draws attention to it too. It's great. Yeah, yeah. My my favorite line from like the the, the narration is Charlotte saying, "My central blasphemy is that I did love God Almighty, but I feared I loved being God more." Yeah, that's, that's a, a that's a ring a ding of a line right there. And I, I do love like the little the little banter we get between Charlotte and Zamorna. Yeah. Okay, so we are going to move on to issue 10, the X card. Um, our quote is uh, from Anne Bronte's The Tenant of Wildfell Hall. It is better to arm and strengthen your hero than disarm and enfeeble your foe. Ash has snuck into the house of the commander of the Angrian military, the Marquis of Ardra, with the, with the help of Zamorna and Angela, who have disabled his godly protections and... Missed it in because that is a vampire power and it's a cool one that nobody ever like takes advantage of one because it's pretty OP. <laughs> Ash commands the Marquis to share his darkest secret, which uh, takes him off the board. 
we learned a bit about the limits of Ash's bindings and how new bindings to unwilling targets shatter old ones. We learned a bit about their first time uh, in Die, how Izzy had been trying to court Zamorna, but Zamorna had eyes for Ash. Uh, when Izzy found out, she said some really fucked up and, pr- and from context clues, really queerphobic shit uh, and claimed that she used the voice on Samorna. Back in the present, a little bit of context, dictators in Angria are chained. They have to submit or go rogue and be hunted. Dictators have patrons and have chemically created chains that enforce their, uh, their rules. They go to the chain maker who is in like this like cyberpunk pyramid um cool cool set design i have a question about this so does this mean that there are so i got that matt was one of an order yes but does this mean that like all of them are not unique that they are not from what i can gather i think like i think some are more common than others i think that other neo like other neos exist there are obviously other masters, like the various realms have all, mm-hmm. all have a master. Mm-hmm. Like there are other dictators. I think the only one that sounds like it probably is unique. Like the the two that are probably unique are the Godbinder, or at least I, I'm trying to remember if we see any other Godbinders, and I honestly cannot remember. But it's like pretty unique. Um, and fools because those are our protagonist, mm-hmm. and fate can only bend around one person. Yeah. So they go to the chain maker, who is an old dude with a beard, uh, and tell him that she and they tell him that Ash is to be the new the new patron of all dictators. The chain maker's bodyguard dictators try to use their powers to kill Ash, but she uses her powers back and makes a dude's heart or makes a uh, dictator's heart catch on fire by telling her to love Ash. <laughs> Which is some of the most metal shit ever. It's Ash is scary. Oh, yeah, because yeah. it is the, the the actual command is love me without limit. Yeah, and the 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 reality bending or magical nature of that is pretty dope. And yeah, um, Ash then turns on the chain maker and uh, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. She, uh, we get a quick uh, flashback to uh, Ash slash Dom's history in the real world when Dom and his wife Sophie had tried in vitro fertilization and of their troubles with having kids. It is uh, unclear, but it sounds like that they're that they could they just couldn't, um, or that one or both of them had had issues that prevented it. And we then get one of my, like, one of the saddest pages um, in this entire series. And um, I'm just going to read the the narration for this because it's when we were teenagers, there was an RPG we all wanted to play. It was called Pendragon. Arthurian and therefore literary. So it sneaked past our fantasy as bullshit filters. It played across the entire history of the myths, the rise and fall of the king of all Britons. Too long for any player character to live through. So it works dynastically. When your knights get too old, their kids take over. Or I didn't get to play Pendragon. I never stopped wanting to play Pendragon. And the next panel we get is um, Ash being reunited with Augustus. And Ash looking like 
legitimately happy. Yeah. If, like also like heartbroken. And Ash remembers Soul's mantra. I did it all for you. As they recuperate, Ash has Isabel witness what she does as a sign of trust. She binds Zamorna to have them married in secret so she can become queen of Ancria. And then back in the prison, a drunk Chuck just rolls on in. He is totally hammered and tells the group about Ash's plan to take control of the city. He releases Matt and Angela with Soul left in the cage. Chuck explains they're uh, leaving the city and they need to find a healer. He's dying. Good. A guard tells Ash that the, the prisoners have escaped and Ash tells them where to hunt, to hunt them. As Ash takes the throne, Izzy reminds her that the evil queen never wins, but Ash responds is like, bitch, watch me. <laughs> it should be noted, you're leaving out the part where Ash has had a costume change oh, yes. and now looks the part of the evil queen. She's got oh, this yeah. like blood red fire sequin gown and like a headpiece that looks like dragon scales on half her face. It looks yeah. fucking dope and epic, yeah. but like, God damn. Yeah. And something that is like, is noticed is that like her, her hair is different. It's no longer like the long straight platinum. It used to be. It's like, it is styled now. It's, yeah. um, it is, yeah. it, it is like, it's like rock star levels. It's, uh, yeah. But yeah, it's, it's a, like, it is entirely like, it is blood red evil queen. And the, yeah. the cloak too. Oh, the cloak. Yeah. Um, where do I want to start with and, this? And this is uh, really where I started like noticing like, wow, like the, the others like all look middle aged to various degrees at, you know, throughout the story. And then there's Ash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I love Ash's arc in this so far because mm-hmm. she goes in and she's just like, we got to get out of here. We got to get this done. I'm going to do what's necessary to get you all home. Kills Saul yeah. and then is slowly. <laughs> it's not a heel turn. It's like a heel. Shimmy. It's a real. Po- it's a real politic turn. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but it's it's a little bit of a heel thing. It's yeah. like I said. Yeah. It's like a heel shimmy, like a like a heel twist. You can't see me, but I'm doing the twist in my chair. I keep looking at Ash and being like, "Is this how you get Saul?" <laughs> Yeah. Is this how you get a Saul? Because I think it is. I mean, we will get to that. And I mean, we'll, we'll discuss that a little bit in the next issue. Uh, but it's the thing is, I don't think she's and I don't think that she's gone like dark side. Yeah, because she's doing everything for internally correct reasons. She wants yeah. she wants dictators yeah. to be like not enslaved. Um, she wants to write the ship that she is set adrift with destroying glass town. Um, she's just like, I just need power to do that. Yeah. I think the problem is, is one you correctly identified is that everybody else, all the other players for lack of a better word are wearing a costume and have powers, but are fundamentally themselves in die. (laughs) Ash is a part of die. Yeah. Yeah. Like, when Dom goes into Die, Dom turned into Ash, who is fundamentally, it seems like, part of of Die in a way that the others aren't. Mm-hmm. And yeah. the more she stops fighting that and lets herself be who she is in this world, 
uh, the scarier she is, which makes me think that they're that she has a bigger role to play than I think the others do. Not a bigger role to play, but I think a a more like metaphysically central role, for lack of a better mm-hmm. word. Yeah. So we totally called it with um with the the history with Isabel and Ash and um mm-hmm. Zamorna. Yeah. I like that there's a great line uh in this issue where after she whammies Zamorna and he's just He's like, what the fuck? Why did why? There yeah, there's a degree to which he's justifiably upset because she has just robbed him of free will. And she's mad and he's like, Why did you do that? And she's like, Well, A, you're untrustworthy, fuck you. And B, also you're a terrible person. And no matter what you said, you can't be trusted. And she's basically saying, like, you seduced both of us. We were kids. And he says, you wanted it. And and her response is, you shouldn't have. Yeah. Which is such a good rebuttal, which is like, you're just a shitty monster. Yeah. Doesn't matter, you know, all of his, his excuses and whatever, you shouldn't have is such a great, like, period on on that. Yeah. Like his his I am what Charlotte wished. I am what all, you all wished. The ravisher of 17 year old girls crafted by a teenage girl. Whatever happened you wished for. And Ash, you know, great is do you think this is arguing against me putting you on a leash? <laughs> yeah. Um, like yes, you are what you are. That's why I did it. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's a good point though that like you know, especially with you know, not unlike teenage boys, teenage girls are also horny as fuck. Um, and the I, I I think it's an interesting um, commentary on like the the type of people who take advantage of it precisely that of like oh well she you know she was interested well you she you shouldn't have been yeah. Yeah, it's it's like the, the you were the older person. You should be here. And like, I think it's like this is a thing where it's like fantasy is not reality. And yeah. like in if if you're playing a game like this and, and you have a relationship with this, like, you know, you know, games are a fun way of exploring fantasy. And like, and, you know, there's hundreds of times, you know, that it's like there's a hot person and I'm going to flirt or whatever with them and. Because it's fun, and that's part of the fun, and that is part of the fun. But this is obviously the point where <laughs> no, it is no yeah. longer. You know, it's it's not just a game. Yeah, it's yeah. also a, a a nice bit of like very quiet condemnation of vampire tropes too. Because mm-hmm. it's like, how many times have you read the like four hundred year old vampire falls for the seventeen year old girl? Yeah, many times. You should probably not want that, you ancient turd of a vampire. What vampire like goddamn it, ancient vampire? Why do you think a 17 year old is an interesting person to be around? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because you're a predator, that's why. I mean, part of it, I mean, like the way it's described is that like Zamorna, rec- like it is because Zamorna is a monster and recognizes that Ash is also, yeah, which is interesting, fucked up, but interesting, yeah. Because he saw he saw a kindred spirit in her, which is fictionally interesting. Also, the whole thing with like 
the more like because I mean, part of it was because it was done for Dom slash Ash's birthday, but the the refrain of "I did this all for you," this like the whole Pendragon thing and the and having a son and we and a conversation we will talk about in the next issue. Okay, I ship solid Ash. Yeah, it is. Yep. Yeah. I haven't gotten that vibe, especially since he's dead. But I guess uh, I mean, that, well, for values of dead that include conversational, I guess he's undead. Yeah. Yeah. Other fun stuff that happens in this issue: we find out Chuck is Chuck saves them and talks about dying. Yeah. But we don't we don't have the details on that yet as of this one. Yeah. We gotta wait for that. Also, I love his thing is just like I'm going to just get super drunk and stroll in because this is the dumbest plan possible. So it has to work. Yeah. And everybody's like, oh my God, it's it's such a dumb plan. And he's like, Yes. Yes. You got it. You you figured it out. Threading that needle between so dumb it works and not so predictably dumb it won't work has to be a real talent for him. Oh yeah. yeah. Like what is the appropriate level of fucking stupid that will not get me killed? Yeah. Cause it, like that is, that is a fine, that is a fine thing that, or that is a fine line to walk. Yeah, for sure. I just need to call out the art in the final page. There's a single panel, which is Ash just sitting there on the throne looking just oh. incredibly evil. It's amazing. It's an amazing oh, panel. It's perfect. One of the things that I was noticing as well with the art in this one is that I hadn't previously noticed the um, the triangle D4 type thing on yeah. Ash's chest. And we see that now glowing. Yeah. And something that is interesting is that it's mentioned that uh, at least the player character dictator, like, or Ash, couldn't be bound. Yeah. Which is like an interesting thing of just like, oh, hmm. it is good to unless you have the express permission of a player, you know, don't don't force your players into slavery. Yeah, yeah. that's not cool. Yeah, not great. I don't think I have a ton more for this issue. Yeah. Th- after the, the whammy of the last issue, this one is very much a like a sharp ramp to one moment and then that moment. Um. One thing that I do love is that in the essay at the back of nine, Kieran has this delightful line. I laughed at recognition. Oh God, Charlotte, you are totally my kind of weirdo. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I'm just so chuffed that I was right about what happened with Isabel and Ash. Way back in the, way back in the past there with Zamorna, like proud, proud to be right on that one. Like it was obvious. And yet, you know, Still feels good to be right. Also, I feel like that's got to be one of the things that's preyed on Ash throughout, you know, Ash as Dom out in the real world um, all of these years that, you know, I I wonder if essentially the bargain with the mourner, even if even if Ash did not realize that that was the bargain, whether the bargain Mm -hmm. was to never be able to have kids. Yeah, we don't know. We don't even know what what it was. So, yeah, definitely. Yeah, um, and even if I could, I could absolutely see like even if Ash didn't have 
concrete like confirmation that that was you know what was happening or what had happened just that the possibility of that like preying on the mind throughout all those years okay you got any closing thoughts here else that we need to grab or i don't don't think so so. all right so we are uh, our next issue we're going to opening we're going to be in the back half of the book which means uh Fun little thing, the essays in the back of the book are going in the back of each issue are going to change a little bit. Interesting. For the first half of it, they're all either talking about uh, design stuff for dye or reference material. In the back half of it, most of them are essays from RPG creators. Fascinating. Are fun thing. Um, I, I forgot to mention that, but you know, I, I'd recommend perusing those um in future issues you know future issues um so next time we are going to be covering issues 11 and 12 of die which are going to be risk and hidden roll until next time keep rolling the babylon project is an independent production all views expressed on the show are our own Music information can be found in the show notes. The rest of the show is licensed under a Creative Commons 4.0 share alike no derivatives license.